And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Welcome to The Audible, presented by Trader Joe's. I'm Stuart Mandel, joined as always by Bruce Feldman. And Bruce, before we get to the show, speaking of Trader Joe's, it is fall. Do you know what kind of products Trader Joe's is great for in the fall? I know they're always great for the organic silver dollar pancakes, which I always have to get my daughter, but that's an all year thing. So, so fill me in on the seasonal stuff, though. All right. Well, their fall products have just arrived, like frozen butternut squash mac and cheese, pumpkin ice cream, and in the baking section, the pumpkin pancake and waffle mix. All customer favorites. So let's all go to Trader Joe's this week. What do you say? And check those out. We always do, by the way, Stu. I'm not exaggerating. Um, but we have a big show for you guys today. Obviously, with Alabama getting whipped by Texas this past weekend, and the SEC off to a very, very, very unlike SEC shaky start, uh, we're going to get into all of it with Paul Feinbaum. He's really the, the, the voice and the face of the SEC and the SEC network. He's going to join us in a little bit. We're also going to get into your mailbag questions in the mailbag in the second half of the episode. Yeah, couldn't be a more timely guest, so let's bring in Paul. We're pleased to be joined now by Paul Feinbaum. You all know him from the SEC Network, from his longtime show. And Paul, I got to imagine it's been an interesting week on your show since the Alabama game. Um, and that's where we want to start. Obviously, it's not the first time Alabama's lost a football game under Nick Saban, but this to us, feels different. What has the reaction been like from your callers? It's been uh, truly uh, off the charts, Stuart. And I mean, there, there, you know, you don't have this experience very often uh, on a Monday uh, after a Nick Saban loss. But this one feels completely. Uh, uh, the, the, the audience seems completely unhinged, uh, and I'm not speaking of everyone, but even. Uh, by now, I have a pretty decent idea of the of the fringe lunatics, and then the just your average fans. And I'm, we're getting calls from normal, <laughs> don't laugh, normal Alabama fans uh, who are asking questions like, uh, "Is this it for Nick Saban? Uh, you know, is it time for him to go?" Some are even suggesting, "Hey, well, you know, is he on the hot seat?" And I mean, I, I try to I try not to you know meet, come unhinged myself when somebody asks me, uh, "Is he on the hot seat?" I, I, I reminded the guys that. He's won six national championships at Alabama. Shouldn't that count for anything? He said, I know that, but. So that's, that's, a, that's an indicator of where we are right now. Paul, let me ask you. Uh, you know, watching the game the other day, it looked like Texas was Alabama and Alabama was Texas. Um, mm-hmm. I thought going into this year, I had a hard time. I did not have Alabama as a preseason playoff pick, which to most people is unconscionable. But what I had a hard time getting around was the same game we saw, you know, this time last year. Alabama was very fortunate to get out of that game with a win. It wasn't like Texas was great. 
And I looked at him and was like, well, they had Bryce Young on that team and, and Will Anderson, who were two truly great players on each side of the ball, uh, plus Gibbs, who was a first-round pick. And now those guys are off the team. They're not there anymore. And we're expecting this team to somehow be better. I didn't. I was skeptical of that. But then when I watched the game, um, I thought it was significant that you had Alabama – no sacks against a team that throws the ball a lot, only two tackles for loss. And on the other side of the ball, you know, here's Bo Davis and Kyle Flood's the offensive line coach at Texas. Bo Davis, the defensive line coach, old Nick Saban guys, you know, his guys, five sacks, nine tackles for loss. Never mind just what Quinn Ewers did. I was like, man, this does not bode well for Alabama and the rest of the way. I mean, Am I overstating it as an overreaction? I'm not saying Nick Saban, you know, he has the number one reclass, uh, number number one 24 class lined up to come in, but I, they didn't look like anything close to a top five team. I mean, what do you expect from them the rest of the way? You know, Bruce, uh, on your point, and nobody knows coaching staffs like you do, but you know, you could go back, I, I don't know, seven years and on one staff, we were talking about Kirby Smart, Dan Lanning as an analyst, uh, Napier, Mario Cristobal. I mean, it was the, it's an endless list of, of really good coaches, and that's not the case anymore. And I, and I think that's really one of those factors where he's missing the, the brawn and the star power uh, in, in terms of you know, getting things uh, – and Lane Kiffin, <laughs> excuse me. Uh, so, I mean, it's just – there's a dearth of talent on, on the on – the, on the staff there, there, I don't think, I think he has great players on this team. You can pick and choose, but just because you have the the best lineman, uh, freshman lineman in the country on your offensive line, starting against Texas, that means absolutely nothing when you're going against guys who, who are equal. And I think that's what a lot of people here, you know, fail to consider. It's just a typical, well, you know, Saban will find a way. Well, I think it's become pretty apparent uh, with, with a, a mishmash of talent, uh, uh, a weaker coaching staff than I think he's probably ever had. Uh, you know, what is it, what does he do to find the solution? So the only good thing going right now, I think for Alabama is that the sec does not look as gigantic uh, and as Titanic as maybe it has in the past. Uh, it's still going to be pretty good though. And, you know, for Alabama fans, it's not about finishing 10 and two and, and getting a nice bowl game. It's about winning a championship. And, and I don't see how that's possible right now, especially since it, assuming Alabama got to Atlanta. And right now I would not assume that they'd still have to get by Georgia. One thing I find interesting is that because he has set the bar so impossibly high, 15 straight years of 10, 11, 13, 14 wins, you know, other coaches, let's say Alabama goes nine and three other coaches. He'd say, oh, I was a down year. You know, they'll have it back next year. But I don't get the sense that's how people react if that's what happens here. No, I don't think that's going to happen. And, and Saban has always gotten the benefit of the doubt. And and I think he'll still get it from some people. Uh, but the Nick Saban I saw Saturday morning, uh, you know, and I'm trying to act like, you know, we had coffee. I mean, we, when he was on our show and there's a two, three minutes you talk beforehand, he sounded worried. Uh, he sounded like he had a bad feeling about what was about to happen. He talked about depth. He talked about the secondary. He talked about a lot of young players. Now, that's not the I mean, Saban's not trying. You guys know Saban. He's not, he's not trying to con you a couple hours before the game. Uh, that's not who he is. Um, and yeah, I mean, he, he has to feel vulnerable too. And 
you know, I'm, I'm a couple of years behind him, so I, I don't want to, you know, get, get too carried away on the ageism question, but, you know, he's about to turn 72. There's not a 72 year old in America, except two guys running for president of the United States who, who don't think about age uh, and their place in history. Uh, and, and I think he has to be thinking about that. And I don't think he wants to walk away and nor do I think he'll immediately consider that, but he also, uh, I don't think can handle, you know, being just another guy. And right now he's not another guy, but he's not the center of attention. Uh, he's not the center of attention in his own league. And he certainly isn't the center of attention in college football with what is happening in Boulder. All right. So pivot a little bit in the same division to another program that to me is going to be fascinating to watch this year. And that is Texas A&M. Jimbo Fisher, it's year six. He has been paid an absolute fortune, except for one good year. He's done nothing in College Station. And then they begin the year. They're going to have almost the first half of the season. All their games are home, but one. And it was against an unranked Miami team that was really mediocre last year. Jimbo Fisher takes his Aggies with last year's number one ranked all-time recruiting class, and they get their butts kicked. I mean, it wasn't, you know, they lose 48-33. Their defense gets embarrassed. Um, You know, he brought Bobby Petrino in here. The offense had its moments, but it wasn't like the offense was, looked like the Joe Burrow offense of LSU or anything, you know, like what Lincoln Riley's got going. Uh, How, if you're a betting man, we know what the buyout is. It's almost $80 million, but it's year six. Do you think Jimbo Fisher is going to still be the head coach at, at A&M uh, by, the, by December? If we see more of what we saw Saturday, no. And I'm not trying to equivocate, Bruce, but uh, yeah, he's, he, his schedule is you know, coming up is Arkansas, Let's see, uh, Arkansas, Alabama. Uh, I mean, it's uh, Auburn, ULM. They're Auburn, all Arkansas, home games. Alabama, They're all Tennessee. Home games. Yeah. So, um, if he's, I mean, I, I don't. I mean, he's, I think he'll. It, Arkansas to me is the most important game in that group because that that is a game that A and M fans just feel like they own. They own that game, and if he loses that game and, and loses to Alabama the next week, I, I, I think it's going to start collapsing under him and. One thing I do know about Texas people, uh, Texas A&M people, they, they, the money is not as big a deal. Uh, you know that, Bruce. I mean, it's it's, it's Texas. There are uh, a lot of energy people a, there, right? Yeah, I mean, I was I was, uh, I was uh, out Friday night uh, at a bar, a rooftop bar in, at Saban's Hotel, by the way, in Tuscaloosa with Texas people. And I haven't spent that much time with Texas people, but I mean, I was shocked. I mean, I mean there was money coming off of everybody in that group. It was all Texas from the governor. And, and, and what's going on with in Austin is going to really bug people in, in college station. They, they do not like the idea of them giving Texas a, a, a roadmap to come in the sec and then have them be better than them. So I don't think they'll tolerate it. So I, I know I haven't quite answered your question, but if, if this number is uh, below nine or eight, I, I don't know how, I don't know how in the world he would survive. Yeah, I, I don't know how if he is eight and four, you bring him back after six years and go, yeah, we have the right guy. Never mind. Look, and it's I think it's even I think the number may actually go higher depending on if Sark can can win ten games. I'm not even saying right. if he goes to the playoff. If Texas is ten and two after whipping Alabama and Tuscaloosa, I think the price tag changes for the the bar gets higher 
for him because Sark's been there way less time. And, you know, what, what you're looking at from A&M right now, again, I don't know how you sell eight and four at after six years yeah. and bringing Bobby Petrino in. I'm not sure how you sell nine and three, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, if you had told me uh, without knowing about the last couple of years that uh, Jimbo Fisher would, would go eight and four or nine and three in, in the year six, I, I would have said he would be gone. Uh, because, but I, I think what, uh, and I, I give Ross Bjork some credit. I mean, he's managed he's managed this thing fairly well. I think the Petrino move also just took all the attention off the reality. But Jimbo does himself no favors. I mean, he every time he walks out there in front of cameras, he 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 literally falls all over himself. It's not like uh, you know he he exudes confidence. So I I, I think it, it it is going to be high drama and. You know, is there somebody that they're thinking about, I think, is really another question. Uh, Bruce, you follow this stuff better um, and more closely than I do. But if, if you think you've got somebody to bring in, it helps expedite. And, and I think that's another factor to consider. I know a guy well, who used to work in Texas, let's put it that way, who has this talk of college football world. He may only end up eight and four, which could be the number uh, Jim will get fired at. But he's at Colorado where they're awful. I mean, if you're if you're Texas A&M, I don't know how you wouldn't look at that. I mean, he doesn't seem like a Texas A&M fit. No, I, I think that conversation uh, takes place everywhere uh, this fall. But uh, of of the places that I think Dion would be least likely to go, it it could be College Station. I would think so. What about? So I got a lot of heat, including on your show, <laughs> for picking Florida before the season to have an awful season, and that that would lead to Billy Napier getting fired. To you know. Does Dion, if they, that seems to me like the kind of program that would appeal to Dion. And would that, if they, if they continue to struggle, would that maybe accelerate the timeline there of let's cut bait and go all out for him? Yes. <laughs> for, for my hesitancy on the A&M question, I have no, I have none on, on Florida. First of all, you, you have a much different di- dynamic there. Uh, you got a brand new president. Former Senator Ben Sass, a very uh, you know forward-thinking uh, guy uh, that I, I think would look at Dion and go, "That's what I, I like. This I really think this could be the ticket." They're already considered uh, the one of the premier uh, public uh, public institutions in the country. They just finished number one in a in a poll, and and I think uh, Dion fits their their makeup very well. Uh, and the, the fact that you know, he played at Florida State, I think, makes it even more intriguing uh, and and more enticing. For Dion, uh, and there, you know, how do you how do you not be attracted by that fertile recruiting ground down there? So, uh, and you know, Napier for all of uh, you know, Scott Strickland has done a nice job of of, of shepherding him through the off season, but Saturday night is going to tell his tale. And if if Florida looks bad against Tennessee, uh, I don't know how you you hold the bottom there because uh, you know the schedule uh, starts to really do do them in. Uh, just looking at it uh, with Kentucky uh, in Lexington, South Carolina in Columbia, and then Georgia, uh, LSU on the road. I mean, we're 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 in Florida State at the end of the year. You guys tell me where where, where does Billy Napier turn if he if he if he gets hammered on Saturday night against Josh Heupel? Yeah, I think it's can you get to six and six and preserve a, a top five recruiting class and just sell people on, hey, it's only year two. You you know, you knew this was going to be a rebuild. I, I do think he is in a different year two is way different than year six to me. Right. 
So again, that, but. Yeah, it, and, and I think people want to believe in him or Jimbo. It, it's hard. Uh, Jimbo doesn't do much as you know, Bruce, uh, that makes you want to believe in him. Also, I want to make it clear. We don't think, neither of us thinks it's a certainty that Dion's going to leave, be one and done at Colorado. We think he'll probably stay until, you know, he's got another year of Travis Hunter and all these guys that transferred to go play for Travis him. Travis Hunter can't, probably be can't stuck leave there. because yeah. it's not like he will have been able to graduate. And I know he's really close to him. I would think that, you know, for that and to see where it goes, I would, I would be surprised if he left this year. But there's going to be people that they're going to, that either A&M or Florida potentially, especially, you know, the same dynamic, your arch rival is is trending way up in this case florida state in the other case it was texas um you know it's not without noticing obviously the pac-12 is at a fantastic start in its final go-round the sec you know Stu and i talked about this going into the year they had all these matchups that almost always they win south carolina north carolina florida utah you know florida well they didn't win florida state lsu last year but almost every big game they had this year, certainly AM, Miami as well, they've stubbed their toe or they got their butts whipped. I mean, is there a reason to panic? You still have Georgia, but is there a reason to panic if you're an SEC fan feeling like this year you might not actually be the best conference? Well, yeah, Bruce, that would, that would never be uttered in, in, in the studio I'm in. So uh, <laughs> out of your mouth, please. Um, I, I, I mean, I think it certainly, I, th- I think it depends on the end. Uh, if, if Georgia wins at the end of the year, then I, I think that washes away any of the bragging rights, uh, what happens. And, and I, I think it, every case is different. Um, but, you know, probably the only game of that group that, that totally floored me was, was how poorly LSU looked because, I mean, that was the one school that I was counting on to, to be a contender, uh, you know, South Carolina losing a game shouldn't surprise anyone. Uh, and, you know, Jimbo losing a big game shouldn't surprise anyone either. Yeah, I mean, I think the two that really stand out was obviously the way Texas beat Alabama and the way Florida State beat LSU. I, Florida State LSU was a considered a pretty much a toss-up going into it. But, I mean, the way they, you know, I was there, the way they got run off the field in the second half and Brian Kelly's, kind of like just bewildered comments afterward where he just couldn't believe this had happened. That's where I was like, you know, this is, you know, you, you've seen it. Like we're just so used to the sec teams in these neutral site games. I mean, for years, Alabama would go to Atlanta or Dallas and just clobber whoever they were playing in that game. Um, and others as well it had to be jarring. You know, if you're a close sec fan to see that go down the way it did. And, and, and the biggest problem for the sec right now, Stuart is, Georgia hasn't started playing yet. I mean, Georgia's a, com- a complete no-show on the season and will be. Uh, I mean, nothing's going to happen Saturday against South Carolina that 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 really uh, is intriguing uh, other than just a big win. And, and I think that's, you know, the, if there was a mistake made, uh, it was made. The com- I, I believe the conference should have said, you know what, let Georgia play Oklahoma. Uh, what's the big deal? I mean, it wasn't like the game was coming back next year. I think the game was eight or nine years away. Uh, and it confused people as well because the Texas Alabama game, nobody realized that, that that was not germane to the conference issue. And had, had, had Georgia been in Norman last weekend, uh, and I think it would have helped their cause and probably the SEC's cause. Just before we go, I just want to ask you, cause it's been a lot of, you know, it's a lot of down right here. Um, take Georgia out of it. Who, if you're, a, if you're an SEC fan, 
who should who would you be excited that is trending up right now? Well, I think Tennessee is is probably uh, the one that you you have to grab on because they have you know one of the most dynamic uh, offensive coaches in the country, and it's also a program, Bruce, that has been dormant for so long. Uh, so when you see Tennessee on the national stage, I think it it energizes you. I mean, LSU has been there. Um, but, you know, I mean, there, there has to be concern, though, overall on the SEC front, though, with if Florida can't figure it out. Uh, I mean, because that's a, that's another one of the I mean, as as as, as people are or not everyone, but as some people are binging on Swamp Kings and seeing how how epic that period was. I mean, when when Tebow says at the end of Swamp Kings, he walks in the stadium and, and just can't look up because uh, 2009 is not there with it was 06 and, and 08 in, in terms of national championships and then you know how far that program has fallen when Stewart's picking them to win three games not all that long after they nearly won three three out of four would that ratchet up the appetite for a playoff bound fsu for for your your constituents yeah well you know i, I think as you look ahead uh I, I think the SEC, you know, getting into a, a realignment. I, I think FSU has has started winning at the right moment. Uh, even though uh, we all know uh, Greg Zanke's not going to bring a team, or excuse me, a school, <laughs> student athletes, of course, uh, a school in uh, just because they're winning games. It, it helps their stock, and and I, I think that's a big deal uh, with FSU finally being on the national stage. Although I, I think of, of the three schools that, that, that matter in the, in the, in the ACC, uh, I think FSU is at the bottom of the most desired favored nation list. What I keep hearing from people is they, uh, no, nobody in, in, in the league that matters liked what they did at that board of trustees meeting. Uh, and they, they felt like, do you want to invite uh, a group that, that just you know, has, has an animal house uh, toga party right in the middle of, and for everybody to see on, on Facebook live? Uh, and that really went down uh, poorly. Uh, I, you know, every, no, I don't think anyone really thought that was a great idea, but but I think at least in the moment it hurt. Uh, it hurt FSU. And and I think another thing, and this is where North Carolina uh, shines, is I really think the SEC likes the idea of these prominent premier state universities like Oklahoma, like Texas, like Florida, like the University of North Carolina. We could go down a whole rabbit hole if we started talking realignment. So we'll we'll wrap it up there. Um, Paul, thanks so much for your time, and uh, you know we'll, we'll look forward to these SEC teams, mainly Alabama, giving you more more content for your show for the rest of the season. It's been tough to uh, plan the show this week, guys. Always a pleasure. <laughs> a good uh, thanks so much. We always enjoy talking to both of you. Great seeing thanks, you, Paul. Paul. Thanks for doing this. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone. Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. 
And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Okay, Stu, back to the podcast in a second, but now a word from our sponsor, LinkedIn Talent Solutions. When you are hiring for your small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. That's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs has the tools to help find the right professionals for your team faster and for free. LinkedIn isn't just a jobs board. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. On LinkedIn, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within the first 24 hours. Hire professionals like a professional on LinkedIn. LinkedIn knows that small businesses are wearing so many hats and might not have the time or resources to hire. LinkedIn is constantly finding ways to make the process easier. They even just launched a feature that helps you write job descriptions, making the process even easier and quicker. 2.5 million small businesses use LinkedIn for hiring. So post your job for free at linkedin.com slash audible. That's linkedin.com slash audible to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. All right, Bruce, we're going to get to the mailbag in a second. But first, we're very excited to introduce a new partner with a very natural tie-in to college football and something I think our fans are going to find very useful in their travels this season. Yes, Stu. Um, I started staying at, at graduate hotels a few years back. My TV crew at Fox, it was the first time I'd been in one was in Iowa City. And it was a really unique, unique place because 
the concept of them is really, you know, it is immersed in the local culture and charm that that makes each college campus and college town unique. Um, and so I didn't quite at first I was like, this is definitely different. And then last year when we were at Indiana hosting Michigan, our big noon cruise stayed at the graduate hotel in Bloomington. And there's definitely a charm to it. And it's and it's unique. And I think it fits with the um with the local college town vibe. Um, little did I know that one of my buddies actually was working for the graduate. And so we so when he had talked to uh when he when we had caught up this summer it really did seem like a natural fit for the audible and, and this podcast. And so we're glad to have them as a partner now. And I think it's a good tie in, especially now we're going to do the mailbag. It just seems like it's, it's just a very organic fit on something that's already organic. It's like the coffee table book about coffee tables. There you go. It's graduate hotels. They're in college towns all over the country. And you're right. I mean, it's not just you're staying in a hotel. There's extras like live music, Pre-game refreshments, next morning helpers. If you had a big night, they've got lamps shaped like school mascots. How could you not love that? Rooftop bars and more in the hotels, usually walking distance to the stadium. So start planning your football weekend now and get 20% off your stay plus $50 for food and drinks with promo code GRADFB. That's G-R-A-D-F-B. And you can book now at graduatehotels.com. Let's get to the mailbag. As always, you can send your questions to theaudiblepod at gmail.com. I always joke that we are the official podcast of Coaching Carousel. <laughs> We've got a lot of those today. Let's start with Rory from Edinburgh, Scotland, actually. Hi, guys. What do you think is Dion's endgame? To get a true college football, to get to a true college football powerhouse like Florida State or an SEC school, or to coach in the NFL? That's a good question. I don't know because I was surprised that he took the Colorado job when there was probably other things that I thought would, would seem like a more geographical fit. Obviously he's on track to far exceed anybody, you know, in the media's expectations of what he could do there. Um, my hunch has always been, he would be there a couple of seasons, two seasons, and then he would do well with his transfers and then somebody bigger with deeper pockets then Colorado would pull him away. Um, and I don't, you know, look, Mike Norvell is doing really well at Florida State. I don't know if you're Mike Norvell, why you would leave the place that gave you a chance if you did. Um, you know, obviously we had Paul Feinbaum on the show earlier. And as you've mentioned a lot, Florida, the, the, the arch rival of Florida State or one of the two arch rivals of Florida State could be needing a coach um, as soon as this winter. Um, the thing that was interested me and we had, the, I had this conversation with somebody who I would say is an industry source and said, how long do you think Nick Saban is going to be at Alabama? And neither one of us were ready to say he was, this was going to be his last year, but it felt like he probably, I, I would be surprised if he's going to be there another five years. Um, especially as this way this is going. And I would always think Pete, most coaches would be like, Ooh, you don't want to replace the legend. You don't want to replace John Wooden here. Um, Deion Sanders is probably the one guy who I would think who's in coaching would be like, yeah, I'll replace him or, you know, I'm not saying he that's definite, but it wouldn't, it wouldn't entirely shock me. I think the question is going to be Colorado's going in the big 12. It has much more stability now than it felt like it did when he was hired there. But again, 
the Big 12 money is not going to be what the SEC money or the Big 10 money is. Um, I think because of how the transfer portal is set up, he can reshape a roster in much more profound fashion than he could if he was an NFL head coach where you don't get not to use the old line used to be, well, you can have 25 first round picks with the, uh, you know, in, in college with the recruiting class. Now that was pre portal. Now you can have way more first round picks because you're not limited to that. So I don't know. He seems like he's, he's doing really well as a college coach. I'm not ready to say he's going to bolt from Boulder because maybe he can, you know, he's already getting a lot of these big time recruits, but want to see what he's doing. So I don't know, Stu, where do you think? I, I would be surprised if he left after one year because, um, because of everything you just said, I mean, he's, he's got all these kids who followed him there or coming there for him. And I just can't see him leaving them that quickly. Now all bets are off. If, he continues to have success and it's been two seasons. The one I, the part I'm a little curious about is, or coaching the NFL. Like it's, that's a logical thing to suggest, um, especially since he was an NFL hall of fame player. But I feel like that would be a waste of what makes Dion successful because there's no recruiting. Um, There's no fishing guys out of the transfer portal. It's everybody follows the same rules Everybody has the draft. Everybody has free agency. Um, His personality and his charisma really doesn't play a part in it. It may play a part in um, coaching on Sundays or in practice, but you're just, that's just stripping away an entire part that is really what he's all about. And also let's not forget he, you know, before this spent a lot of time around youth football and high school football and mentoring young players and NFL is not about that at all. So my, I would just assume the next stop is exactly what an SEC school, a big 10 school, maybe, you know, a marquee place that has more history and tradition than Colorado. But I also wouldn't, I mean, it's amazing. We're having this conversation after two games. I wouldn't go assuming it's, you know, 2023 and out for Dion at Colorado. I also think worth noting on this part of, you know, one thing that came up in this story I did on his business manager this week was how he how that interview process went. And she had said to me, you know, it's making sure the AD, in this case, Rick George, really understood everything that entails to have Deion Sanders as your football coach. You have to be all in in a way that is much different than you are. You think probably think you are when you hire a head coach. And so what comes with that is a trust and a comfort level that Deion Sanders has to feel. So is the AD who may be courting him, are they going to be all in on that? Colorado, to a certain extent, had to be desperate, you know, because they they had not been relevant for 20 years. How, how amenable and open truly would these other schools that probably have more money, how, how, how are they going to be? I mean, are they going to be all in in a way that they need to be for him to go? Yeah, I I believe you. I don't. I mean, I don't think that's a slam dunk. You know, I I do think Rick George and Colorado, to their credit, have you know embraced getting on, you know, getting in the car, and we're going downhill super fast, and we're we're good with it. Stu, our next question from Fairfax, Virginia, is Andrew Wheaty. 
Guys love the podcast. Notre Dame is 3-0, and and barring a slip-up this weekend at home against Central Michigan, will be an undefeated top-10 team hosting an undefeated top-5 Ohio State Buckeye squad. For the first time in memory, the Irish will be playing a big game where they are not starting the lesser quarterback. Am I nuts to feel confident the Irish can win this game? Go Irish. Good question, Andrew. I wouldn't feel nuts at all. I, if they were, I, I, I would have a tough time deciding who I'm going to pick if the game were tomorrow. He's right. Sam Hartman makes a huge difference for Notre Dame. I feel like when they played last year, you, you remember it was the first game of the season and Notre Dame was the one breaking in a new quarterback and Ohio State had C.J. Stroud. And it was hard to see how they were going to be able to score to keep up with Ohio State. And that's basically what happened. I mean, Ohio State didn't run away with it by any means. But Notre Dame's offense was just so limited. And I just think Sam Hartman opens up those possibilities a lot. And I think Ohio State's defense is better this year. Uh, Jim Knowles' defense and will present problems for them. Um, but it's not, yeah, I mean, it's nobody's going to go into it saying, I've got more faith in Kyle McCord than I do Sam Hartman. Sam Hartman's been doing this forever. He's playing at a very high level for Notre Dame. I mean, Kyle McCord will be playing the biggest game by far that he's played in so far as a starter. So, all bets are off. Yeah, I was trying to look at this, you know, just to go back because I was like, oh, I'm going to have to ask, you know, this is like the break, you know, to Andrew's point, this is the kind of the Brady Quinn window where it was a top 10. Now, obviously, the Bush push would have been that game where you had top top 10 teams and Notre Dame went toe to toe. Um, I don't feel like I'd be very comfortable, you know, choosing one of my big noon colleagues over the other and say, oh, Brady was better than Matt or vice versa. Um but then you got in, I think he played Jamarcus Russell, and Jamarcus Russell, you know, in LSU was a much more talented team. This time, I do think Notre Dame's athletes, from what we've seen, are underrated to me a little bit. I think this is a much more athletic Notre Dame team than people um, probably anticipated. And I can't wait for that game. You know, this is not a great weekend of games. And Andrew's question has got me really looking ahead right now. Next weekend's games are loaded. Uh, I pointed this out on Twitter. Ohio State Notre Dame's the you know the headliner, but it's Florida State Clemson. It's we just talked about Dion. It's Colorado going to face Oregon. There's actually three Pac-12 games on Fox that day with Utah, UCLA, and I forget what the other one is. So yeah, that's gonna be a, a big big day of college football. Um, well, here's a question we got to address. It's from Brian Black in Atlanta. It looks like the Mel Tucker era will be ending at Michigan State. Will coaches who have built a solid resume at schools outside the future power two, he uses Mike Elko, Dave Clawson, Lance Lightfoot, and Chris Kleiman as the examples, be interested in leaving established positions to coach at a middle of the pack? I'm not sure Michigan State is a middle of the pack power two program, but okay. That will have increased financial resources. Will the Michigan State opening be a litmus test of how the coaching community views the future power two and non-power two divide? I do think it will be. Um, when you look at how it sets up, you know, the, some of the names that he had mentioned are are very well respected coaches, certainly in the big, you know, you got some guys in the big 12 who I think have done really good jobs. I'm like, okay, you know, Lance Leipold. I think could be a good fit there. I, I think as well as he's done at KU, I think it's a, it's a stretch. Now, some of the other names you start, you know, is Dave Clawson really going to want to make that move? I know that 
you have a but probably have a better chance to win and sustain at a higher level in East Lansing than you would there. I just don't know. You know, he's been very choosy. I'm not sure. Chris Kleiman, K-State, another good example of a guy who's done done really well. I don't know if, you know, I could see Brian Hartline perhaps being interested in this job. He's, you know, he's been a hot name as an assistant, but now you're taking your role in the dice on a guy who's not been a head coach before. You know, do you have a, a guy like Mike Elko? People have been really impressed what he's done. I think those are guys you'd have to, you'd have to see, would they, would they be tempted? Because I think on a lot on paper, you know, it's just a deeper resources at this place. You know, there's, an, you know, Charles Huff, I think is one at Marshall who's, you know, got them going. I could see him being there. Um, you know, one other name I would throw out to you, Stu, and this is one, I think it's a no brainer for him, but it's another big 10 guy who, again, we're talking a lot of Colorado. Um, I have a story on Sean Lewis that's running later this week, the offense coordinator at CU. He did a really good job at a tough place to to win in, in the MAC at Kent State. He was close to getting the Cincinnati job before Scott Satterfield jumped at it. So I think they're going to have some interesting options, and I do think that they will be able to woo potentially somebody away from a from a slightly smaller or smaller conference. Yeah, I agree with all that, and I think that as the sh- as the sport shifts to the twelve team playoff, and as the money the Big Ten and SEC are making is just so much more than the other well, the other two now. Um, if if one of those programs comes calling, you got to entertain it. And maybe if you're Dave Clawson, you're happy where you are. Um, I, call me crazy, I could see him at Northwestern before I could see him at Michigan State. It just seems like a, a job that suits him more, but. Um, you know, when you get to 12 team playoff, that's now the bar that you're going to be measured by. And so if you're at Kansas, if you're at uh, Wake Forest, Duke, you can have a great team. You're probably not going to make the playoff. But if you go to Michigan State, you don't even necessarily have to win the Big Ten. You could be the third or fourth best team in the Big Ten that year and make the playoff. Yeah. And again, the money is huge there. And I think that's a big deal, right? I think that's that's something that you can't underscore enough the last one kind of depresses me but we'll we'll answer it daniel tubin who lives in virginia have we gotten to a point where james madison and liberty are better than virginia and and virginia tech you hear about players all the time they get paid and they lose some motivation does that happen with coaches i thought justin fuente was good at memphis but was a dumpster fire at tech the uva coach seems like a good man but a horrible coach i like jmu and liberty as much as the next guy that lives here but the state of the two main state schools is sad. Ooh, you know, I mean, that's a big win for JMU. They've had a good run in elevating from FCS to there. Um, you know, Liberty, especially under Hugh Freeze, got it going. I mean, look, I mean, William and Mary still at the FCS level. They're really good FCS program. It's the gap is not there anymore. Um you know, we'll see if Tony, like Tony Elliott has really struggled to get any traction there. And I think we started, we talked about this a little bit, you know, a while back about when Dabo lost some of these assistants, like Jeff Scott had a really rough run, you know, back kind of closer where he's from at USF and didn't last long there. Tony Elliott struggling. Venables had a really shaky first season. Now it looks like he's ready to kind of break through, but I don't know. And I, 
I thought Justin Fuente, he did do a really good job at Memphis and they just, he got off to a nice start and then it kind of backslid. I don't, I, the jury's still out on Brent Pry, to be honest. I mean, I don't, I don't want, I don't think it's right to just say both he and Tony Elliott, they're not going to get it done because, you know, their starts have been pretty shaky, but it's been a little surprising to be got, to be honest. Yeah. I think that, so Virginia Tech played Purdue last week in Blacksburg and lost 24-17. And it was a tie game in the fourth quarter. To me, that's a different story than Virginia was non-competitive against Tennessee, lost to James Madison, by all indications is looking at a really, really bad season. Um, so you're right. Like, let's see what happens. Virginia Tech's playing at Rutgers this week. In the past, that would have been a game you'd say they definitely win. I don't think that's the case this week. I think Rutgers could beat them. Um, it's too early, I think, to rule out either guy, but the Virginia one seems particularly dire to me. And I don't know if, like, the way Bronco, Bronco Mendenhall unexpectedly left contributed to this. Obviously, they had an absolute tragedy at the end of last season that has affected that program. You feel bad that we even are critiquing Tony Elliott amidst that, but at some point he's going to be judged solely on the record and uh, it's not looking good so far. And it's puzzling because like he said, these are, I mean, Virginia has had trouble getting traction for two, three decades at this point, but Virginia tech was a very good program under um, Frank Beamer as a great home field atmosphere, great home field atmosphere. And there are players in that state, you know, make no mistake. This is not, Oh, there's not enough players around. There are players in Virginia they're just not all going to Virginia and Virginia Tech. So um, it's uh, it's sad. It's sad that, you, you know, you, you're, you know, it's only a couple of years ago. Remember, Virginia went to the Orange Bowl uh, one year under Bronco Mendenhall. They finally got a little bit of momentum. They beat Virginia Tech for the first time in a while. And that's just gone. And Virginia Tech, um, I just think, has been kind of lost in the wilderness since Frank Beamer retired. Um Hopefully one of them creates a little bit of, re at least creates a little bit of reason for buzz as the season goes on. Cause I don't love the idea that, you know, both programs in the state are so far down, but Hey, good for James Mad Madison and Liberty take advantage of this moment in time and steal the show a little bit. Yeah. I mean, UVA definitely had some top 20 seasons, especially under George Welsh. And I know uh, Alvaro had that one year where they were in, you know, they were good. I don't want to say that. I think they were, you know, somewhere in the top 25, maybe once or twice, but, um yeah it's it's been like i feel like there's not that much heat there but at the same time you know uva i don't know i i guess some of this is a function of growing up you know like when i was a little kid ralph sampson was one of the biggest stars in basketball and uva was a big deal in basketball um they really haven't they've had some good players it just hasn't sustained whereas i look at virginia tech in a much different light um and again, I, I think it's too soon to write either guy off, but I think, you know, I do think they need something good to happen soon to get people to to be like, okay, this is going in the right direction or we got the right guy here because they're unproven, you know, they're first time head coaches, both of them. As always, send your questions to the audiblepod at gmail.com for our second episode each week. It is a light slate of games this weekend, but don't, you know, don't read too much into that. It's college football. Something wacky is going to happen this Saturday. Maybe, maybe lots of wackiness. And we will be here to discuss it on Sunday. We'll see you next time. <laughs>